<laughs> yeah, it's what's the old adage? It's money and sex. It seems to be are the two biggies for absolutely every single relationship. Welcome to the Prosperous and Happy Life podcast. I'm Mary Hagerman, investment advisor, financial planner, and portfolio manager with Raymond James in Montreal. In this podcast, I'm delighted to share tips and experiences from my quest to help my clients be prosperous and happy. For over 30 years, I've worked with thousands of clients and countless experts, all looking to have a rich and fulfilling life. My interests go far beyond the realm of money, and you'll get a taste of that here. In my interviews, I share stories and wisdom along with advice from the many experts I've encountered. You can put all of this to good use in your life or your work or both. I hope you'll join me each month for a new episode, either on Spotify or Google Podcasts. Please subscribe, like, and share with friends. The markets might go up and down, but if you're patient and don't sell your investments, you probably won't lose money. On the other hand, a divorce is almost always forever. When couples break up, the financial consequences can be far worse than the nastiest bear market. That's why my guest today, Andrew Sofin, has such an important job. Andrew is a licensed psychotherapist and couples and family therapist. He attended Queen's University for undergraduate studies and then completed graduate studies in the United States, specializing in couple and family therapy. Andrew is the founder of Couples Retreat at Ocean Coral and is in private practice in Montreal. Andrew, welcome to the Prosperous and Happy Life podcast. I've really been looking forward to our conversation. I'm very happy to be here, and I'm excited to have this conversation as well. Well, great, because you just have so much information after working as a couple therapist for, I think it's been over 25 years, and taking a deep and intimate look into many, many relationships to help repair things that have gone wrong. So before we get started, can we agree off the top that when you look at the biggest problems that couples face... Money is up near the top. <laughs> yeah, it's what's the old adage? It's money and sex. It seems to be are the two biggies for absolutely every single relationship. I would also add staying in conversation or staying connected. But uh, I know the popular culture loves to just focus on money and sex. Wow. Well, I love the fact that you bring it up that way. And I got to tell you, I don't think my compliance is going to let us talk too much about the sex part of things. We'll concentrate on money for today. And there's so much to say about the complexity of people's relationship with, with money. Uh, how does it work? Like it's money and power, who controls Oof. the money? How do you see it on your end? Oh, well, it's it's so complicated because obviously living in a capitalist society, money is power. Any, any which way you want to look at it, money equals power in our culture. And whoever holds or controls the money, obviously, is going to have more power than the other person. And very often, people don't even talk about these things. It's sort of a bit taboo. We don't talk about our relationship to money. Well, it's definitely not a first date kind of thing. Sort of like, hey, excuse me, what was your relationship to money and your family of origin? 
people don't, you know, people like to talk more about, you know, the intimacy or the fun. And when the reality is in any long-term relationship, and especially in when you are raising a family, money plays a central role on whether this relationship will thrive or fail. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. that's why you have a job, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's why people need you. It's because it's so important in the couple situation. I just want to go back to what you said about, mm -hmm. you know, money, sex, and power. Money is power, and it's who controls the money. Uh, do, do you see it often on your end as being a man versus woman kind of conflict, whereas often it's the man who's in, in control of the money? I, it, once again, it really depends on sort of, you know, your socioeconomic background, religion, culture, all of those different things. But we still live in a quite patriarchal culture where it is still the assumption is, is that the male will be bringing in more money into the relationship or it's, it's more normalized. And that even many women will say, well, I, I wouldn't continue dating this person or marry this person unless they were making more money. And whereas rarely will they say you know, the opposite. So, and I'd say definitely in more conservative cultures, you know, especially more conservative religious cultures or cultural, where there really is a hard sort of line there where it really the man has absolute control of the money, you know, and where literally they are doling out the money as almost like an allowance to the wife or to other family members as well. And I think that ends up causing a lot more trouble uh, not necessarily divorce, because then usually the woman doesn't have the means or the ability to do so. And whereas I think when there's more equity in terms of how who's making the money and how it is shared or how it is used, I, I think that leads to a much more successful uh, relationship. Um, but it, it, we've seen it all the time. I mean, I sort of say, you look at the stereotypical... You know, uh, think of like the Donald Trumps of the world, you know, where it is sort of like, I'm making all the money, I have all the power, and your job is to look good, period. <laughs> oh, my you know? goodness. You know, that horrible, <laughs> really old, you know, kind yeah. of... Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's there's a lot that can be said, especially if you're going to use the name Trump in the conversation. Exactly. <laughs> but <laughs> if... Um, you know, you 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 mentioned cultures, and of course, there's there are different cultural norms around money, but I think we can pretty universally say that people first start learning about money in the family when they're young. Oh, and, absolutely! And they carry these these values. Um, or rules for money with them throughout their life. So what what have you seen on that end? Well, the interesting thing is, is that most people aren't even really aware of that because whatever you grow up in, that is normal to you. So whatever the values around money or how your family spent money or, or what you placed emphasis on is very unique to each single family and it is highly normalized to the point of people don't even think of it as being something that you know you should really focus on in terms of relationships 
people place way more importance on religion than on, you know, their sort of different value structures around money. When I would argue it's a lot easier to be in a relationship with somebody of a different uh, religion than it is to be in a relationship with somebody who has a completely different value system around money because it's it's it guides you on how hard you work what do you spend money on what kind of car where do you live you know the value of private education or not or or even how much money you are comfortable living with so it, it, it operates on so many different levels and the problem is most couples they never talk about it they just sort of go well yeah well i should be making this and you should be making that and you know we all need to live in this area of town and and then if the other person says something else, guess what? They're like, well, you're wrong. <laughs> that <laughs> well, doesn't go well. Well, that's very interesting because it's almost like you're saying that couple money problems start even before the couple is, is, is shaped or formed oh, by absolutely. what they learn, yeah. by what they learn in the family. Now, in, in my office, yeah. I try to get people to talk about money as much as possible. And often those conversations will revolve around things such as a budget and a financial plan. And these are kind of tools for encouraging people to talk about money, share their values. Where do you see issues cropping up with couples who are starting to go off in different directions? It, it Well, once again... It's usually when there's a big shift in the family dynamic. In other words, when if somebody loses a job or one person starts making a lot more than the other person, where where there's been a, a change in whatever the status quo is. Because most people don't decide to get married and start families, you know, unless they have, you know, they don't make it to that point without having some common ground around those things. <laughs> in other words, they just, you know, they break up. That's more what ends up happening. So to make it, to, you know, past wedding, past, you know, having kids and all that stuff, you have to have at least some basic common ground. Even if you haven't talked about, you know, those biggest things, people really go sideways when somebody loses a job or somebody's, you know, financial status changes considerably compared to the other. Or it's the things that they never really thought about, like what happens if you have a special needs kid? Or if you um, you have to move to another place that's like saying moving from one of the suburbs of Montreal to downtown New York, where, you know, what co the costs are completely change. So I, I, I see in that respect, it's then it's really it's like anything else in couples therapy. I have to sit them down and really start talking through. Oh, OK, so you're coming from this perspective. You're coming from this perspective you're both right and you're both wrong. There's no right or wrong here. It's different perspectives. Right. So, so there's lots of opportunities to, to certainly to have issues surrounding money. Mm -hmm. The recipe is to identify that it's becoming a problem Yes. and to talk about it. Do I hear you right? Oh, yes. Well, it's, it's, it's staying in conversation. I, I hear too many people sort of say, Oh, we need to have a talk about X, Y, or Z. And I'm sure you hear that in your office too, saying, yes, we have to sit down and talk about this. And I'm like, that's not a healthy way to go through life. It's always be in conversation. In other words, 
feel comfortable enough to sort of say, hey, I just noticed, you know, oh, my God, I just saw, you know, there's that, you know, the kids, the tuition for school is going to go up 25 percent. We got to talk about this, not schedule a talk. It, it's always be in conversation because most people just kind of go on autopilot where they're not thinking any of these things through and they're not talking them through and, and they're not having, you know, especially around more sensitive subjects. I mean, once again, you've got the luxury. These are people that have come to you who actually want to have a conversation about money and want to plan out. And I think that's fantastic. I wish every single couple would go to a financial advisor, go to a financial planner and really talk through their finances. It is probably one of the healthiest things a couple, especially a couple with kids and property and careers could do. But you can imagine in my world, I'd say it's a rarity. Most of the people have not done that. And so the first time they're dealing with anything quasi-financial is in my office. Or, you know, when I do, I do intensive couples retreats, you know, I'm down south with them. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm getting the bombshells being dropped about money. And, you know, somebody's saying, I'm paying for this retreat, so we have to do it my way. Uh, and all <laughs> you can imagine. Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. Well, for sure. And, well, I like to suggest that people... And, and as you say, you know, to, to a certain extent, I'm preaching to the converted because if people do come into my office or make appointments with me, it's because they know that it's important to talk about their finances. But in my book, The Black Belt Investor, I do suggest that a bit like businesses, people set up quarterly family meetings. And yes. oh, that'd can, be great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> is to go over the budget to talk about plans for the year and expenses. And I mean, it, it's a lot easier to deal with things when you can see them coming. Mm -hmm. um, you, you can see the summer vi vacation and how much it might cost. You can see school starting in September and you're going to be needing all these uh, clothes, tuition, whatever. Uh, but in your case, I'm sure sometimes people will drop bombshells, like you say, and it's like one person really feels slighted and may not want to, should I use the word, forgive the other person for financial excess? Like, what do you do then? Yes. Well, it, once again, it's, um, I love the idea of doing like quarterly reports and everything, and that makes per much more sense in your world. But if there's a lot of emotions attached to it, sitting on that for a couple of months is not going to be a good idea. In other words, the minute stuff starts coming up, start talking about it. Because the more people sure shove it under the carpet, the more it percolates. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the pile just gets bigger and bigger until, you know, the rug has a huge mound in it, basically. And, and I very often, you know, when somebody drops a bombshell, it says so much about that person. And it's usually about power. Somebody dropping bombshells is, is very much a power move. They feel that either they're losing power or they don't, you know, they feel that the other person is slipping away. And, and it, it's a way of just kind of trying to shake everything up and put the other person a, a bit on the defensive. But it usually just puts the other person on an offensive because it, it, it's, it's attacking somebody. 
like I said, like in my retreats, I have had the guy say, you know, I'm paying for this retreat and damn it, we're only, we're only doing it if I get what I need. <laughs> and usually he's the one who's had the affair or gambled all the money away. You know, right. So you can imagine it's a very much a power, it's very, very, very much a, a power move. And I, 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 it, that's when I have to sit them down and really sort of help them sort of say, well, what's this really about? Why are you trying to get your partner's attention? Because that's what it is. It's throwing a bomb in and saying, hey, I'm here. Well, there, you know, it would be so great if everybody could have the type of attention that, that you can bring to a couple and to get time away to, to be able to talk about these things with a qualified professional. But we both know that for that generation of couples between, let's say, the years of 30 and 50, it's a hugely hectic time. People are building families. Um, they have financial debt. There's a lot of stress. Uh, they're trying to move up in the corporate world or, you know, at work. How do you, what do you recommend that people do to get through this phase of life without piling up too much stuff that's going to blow up later? I absolutely agree. Is you want you really want to be preventative, you know, during these years rather than reactive. Don't forget, I usually see the people as the reactive. They don't come to me until all hell's broken loose. So, in a preventative measure, one of the easiest, and I would say the most foolproof ways of helping stave off any potential explosions or difficulties. It's just make an agreement that any purchases above X amount of dollars and or in particular buckets of things you spend your money on, that you check in with your partner, even if you know they'll say yes. I mean, we already do that. I mean, well, I would say pretty much all healthy relationships will check in on major purchases, you know, such as houses, cars. And big, big trips. But we also know that a lot of people just take it as a personal affront. They think it's like, well, it's my money to spend, or why should I have to check in if I want to buy this piece of clothing? And it's not about trying to take away one's own agency or one's own you know, power to make decisions. It's about making sure that you're on the same page. And both if you feel like the other person is in the sort of the same boat with you that it's both of you in the boat not two of you in two separate boats and, and that way during those hectic years with kids and busy lives and busy careers you really can get through it in a way where you still feel connected and you feel like okay i know what we're spending our money on i know there isn't any big surprises and also, that would be a red flag. If somebody went out and just bought a car and said, hey, look what I bought, I would say, you know, maybe it's time to decide, hmm, I'm not sure if I really want to get married to this person. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's great advice about having um, financial limits or expense limits that, that should be discussed regardless of whether mm -hmm. or not people are a couple is both sharing the same bank account or mm -hmm. the same credit card. But you had said something that we, when we discussed this 
uh, prior to the interview, and I really liked what you said. You said that the healthiest couples say it's our money. Yes, <laughs> it's our money, no matter which bank account it's in, no matter which you know, where it is stashed. I don't care if it's under the mattress. I don't care if it's in two separate bank accounts. It's if if a couple always looks at it as saying, "Look, we're all bringing various." things to the table to allow this couple, family, this business to thrive, then it makes sense to sort of say, look, we're all doing our best. It's almost like, you know, Marx, Karl Marx said, you know, each to his own capacity, you know, contributing to their own capacity. I don't remember the exact quote. But it, it's saying, okay, so maybe one person's going on making the money and the other person's staying home and juggling three kids and everything else you're both contributing and it's both of your money just as you know one person it's not just one person it's not my money it's our money our money we want to buy this car we want to go to this trip not me me i i those are the kiss of death when people start going i i i or me 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 is rarely a good a good way to go. Well, once again, that's that's great advice, and I totally concur um, because it's often too what helps people make the best uh, financial decisions too, and where you can do the best tax planning um, is when you're managing a couple's money together in unison. Doesn't mean that both have to have the same investor profile or the same risk oh, God, uh, no. tolerance, no. but at least they know what's going on in the family finances. So I'd, I'd like to sort of bring you to another stage in the life of the couple and maybe challenge you a bit with this because um, the mature couple, or some, some may say the empty nesters, um, it's also a phase of life when there turns out to be a lot of divorces. We call it the gray divorce when people are kind of finding themselves at home, looking at one another and saying, you know, we don't have anything. Who are you? Common. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so what can you tell me about that and how maybe it relates to, to, to finance, financial issues as well? And unfortunately in our culture, the way we look at retirement or, quote unquote, the golden years, as people always sort of say, is it's very aspirational and it's usually very you know, wistful. Many people, when they're going through hard days of work and saying, oh, you know, at one point we'll be able to retire and then we're going to go traveling. We're gonna, and it's, but it's not always kind of grounded in reality. And so I, I think people, many people don't talk through what do they want for those post-work years? How do they see them allocating the resources that they've accrued over all these years? You know, they've, you know, they've invested all this money and now they can retire. But most people go into it with an assumption. Uh, and it's usually, a, you know, they say, well, I want to travel. And maybe the other person's going like, well, no, I want to build a house. And, and, and a lot of people don't talk about it. That's the biggest, most baffling thing. It, it's as, how do you allocate those resources when you are no longer making more? <laughs> and how do you do it with, and park your ego at the door? 
because people's ego get in the way big time during this stage, especially if if you have a more patriarchal structure where one person has gone out and been making all the money. A lot of times at this juncture, they'll be like, well, I've made all that money and this is what we're doing for retirement. <laughs> and the other person's <laughs> like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> you know what? I kept this whole family together, so we're doing this. So it, it, once again, it's, it's, it's have real conversations about it and well ahead of the divorce. Don't wait until the person's, you know, they, it's their last day of work and then they come home and they're sitting there and then they go, oh, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? <laughs> it's too late. Well, these are these are conversations that I see in a certain capacity when people um, work on financial plans. And I really do encourage people to have financial plans that always need to be updated over time. I mean, they're not static and set in stone, but they force people to look forward and they force you as a couple to look forward to what's the future going to hold? How much is it going to cost? And how are we going to be using that money to fulfill what we think is what makes us happy? And it's like you say, if, if you get to retirement, uh, because some people some people don't do this because oh, they, they assume I, that I've seen the, them I've seen them over and oh, over yeah. yeah and it's and it can often be people who have a lot of money just because oh. they think well I don't need to do plan the money's oh, there more money more problems oh yeah I, I've absolutely seen this I've seen like it's like the private plane set you know and I've seen that it, where it's like one person wants to be like I want to get another plane and the other person's we already have one and they're literally arguing over buying another plane it's Okay. Couldn't wow. we have talked about this maybe many years ago? Uh, I would love to be a fly on the wall for some of those conversations. Yeah. I'm sure there's so much that, <laughs> that uh, to take yeah. away from that. So let's talk about, because uh, we're nearing the end of, of this conversation, yeah. and I'm sure that you know you have so many interesting stories and advice we could go on. But um, let's talk about healthy couples. So mm. w- what do you see... That, that keeps people together, that, that keeps a solid relationship over time, even though there's undoubtedly ups and downs. But uh, what, what's your advice for keeping a, a healthy, happy couple over time? It, it's actually, it, it, surprisingly, it's quite basic. It, it really is staying in conversation with your partner and, and also remembering it's not all personal. Almost 80% of communication is not personal, yet we usually take 80% of what the other person says personally. So it really is just listening and talking and also really taking your ego, parking at the door and being open to hearing other viewpoints or other ways of looking at it and and seeing it as an, an us, not me versus you. We are doing this. This is what you know, us as a couple want to have happen. It's it's really having, you know, it's like all the, it's all the cliches, having each other's back, you know, being a supportive, you know, shoulder to listen, you know, to lean on, to, you know, to be there, you know, wedding vows and richer and poorer and sickness and health, you know, for better or worse. It's taking that really to heart and understand that there'll be the ups and downs and that, 
it's marriage is work. It doesn't just fall in your lap. And everybody well, can yeah. have a good relationship if you work at it. it. It's not a just, it isn't like, oh, yeah, there's the perfect marriage. That's Hollywood. That's not reality. It would be so great if we could, you know, fix every couple's problems. But the, the statistics show that, unfortunately, 50% of marriages will end in divorce. Right. And what's even worse is like 70% of second marriages end in divorce. So it's like, I'm, I'm sure that you've been working with people who just haven't got it right. And they still don't get it right, even if you can't fix their marriage and they go into another one. Well, because people don't work at it. People put more time, thought, and effort into choosing a job than choosing a partner or resolving mm -hmm. differences. People will put more effort into resolving difficulties with colleagues at work than with their the person that they state that they love more than anybody who they've had children with. It's, it's sit down and do the work. Right. I, I know it's almost sometimes I sound like a kindergarten teacher, like sit down, talk it through. So how do you feel about the younger generation? Do you see things uh, changing at all? Yeah. Like this, <laughs> this, this relationship of per perhaps power and control, is it, is it evolving? Oh, it's way better. Well, first of all, full disclosure, I have an 18-year-old and a 21-year-old, two fabulous young women. And I just see the difference in how they communicate with friends or even, you know, boyfriends and things is completely different than when, you know, when I was their age. There's such more openness to talking about relationships and communication, and there's far less taboo subjects. And mental health is normalized in a way that never was before. And, and understanding the power dynamics is, is they get it, they understand it, and they understand, you know, what that dynamic is. And especially young women are very, very capable of being able to say, this is what I want. That's so encouraging, so encouraging to hear because it really is going to help, especially young women, you know, mm -hmm. if they can be more forthcoming and talk. And of course, women are making more and more money. Right. Um, as we head into the future, they're going to be equal on Thank God. all footings with their male yeah. partners. Huh. Yeah. So, well, listen, Andrew, it's been yeah. so great to talk to you today. And I have no doubt that you are fabulous at getting couples to talk because... Well, you're just an interesting guy and oh, so easy to talk to as well. Thank you. Thank <laughs> but, you, Mary. Uh, I appreciate it. Yeah. But before I let you go, yeah. I have one question for you sure. that I ask all my podcast guests. So what does prosperous and happy mean to you? <laughs> well, of course, I'm going to look at it through a mental health lens. Uh, so prosperous and happy to mean is that, you know what? Life's pretty good. In other words, you know, you got enough, you have enough so that you've got food on the table, clothes on your back, everybody's pretty healthy, and you're doing interesting things with your life. That, that's what it is to me. Whether you're making, you know, 100 million a year or you're making, you know, 80,000 a year. 
it, it really is, you know, it's sort of the happiness index is, is what uh, really resonates as being prosperous for me. Well, that's great advice. And like I say, we'll be sharing this chat with all of our clients and friends. And I'm certainly going to be talking with my husband tonight (laughs) and and sharing this with him as well. So once again, thank you, Andrew, for being with us. Oh, it's my pleasure, Mary. And really, you know, I love talking about these things because I wouldn't be doing this work if I didn't really 100% believe. Thank you so much for tuning in. And please make sure to subscribe to The Prosperous and Happy Life on Spotify, Captivate, or Google Podcasts. We'll be releasing new episodes the last Friday of every month. You can also sign up for a free monthly newsletter on my website, www.maryhagerman.ca. If you enjoyed today's podcast guest, couples and family therapist Andrew Sofin. We have a great follow-up conversation next month when I talk to two divorce lawyers on conversations that take place in their offices. Until then, you can follow me on LinkedIn and Facebook at Mary Hagerman. The link is in the show notes. This podcast has been prepared by and expressed the opinions of Mary Hagerman and not necessarily the opinions of Raymond James Limited. Statistics, data, and other information presented are from sources RJL believes to be reliable, but their accuracy cannot be guaranteed. This podcast is for information purposes only and is not to be construed as an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchases of securities. Investors considering any investment should consult with their investment advisor to ensure that it is suitable for the investor's circumstances and risk tolerances before making any investment decisions. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Information provided in this podcast is general in nature and should not be construed as providing legal, accounting, and or tax advice. Should viewers have any specific questions and or issues in these areas, please consult your legal, tax, and or accounting advisor. RJL is a member of the Canadian Investors Protection Fund.